the title of my sermon is For Freedom. So if you're taking notes, write that down. We're just continuing our series in Galatians, Liberty in Jesus. And the entire book of Galatians is really about freedom and about liberty and about the freedom that we experience in the spiritual sense, the freedom that we no longer have to live in the bonds and the bondage of slavery to our sin, but we're freed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to just give you a little intro, but while I'm giving you the intro, you can go ahead and begin turning in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. So if you'll go ahead and begin turning there. There's a historical figure, and a lot of the story about him is kind of mythical. Um, A lot of it has been shared just through um, word of mouth throughout the generations and the centuries, but his name is William Wallace. And William Wallace is a legendary Scottish hero who was born in 1270, and he died at the young age of 35 in the year 1305. He passionately fought for the freedom of the Scottish people from the hand of King Edward I of England. King Edward was a very tyrannical king who sought to oppress the Scottish people. William Wallace was willing to fight for freedom at any cost. Although William Wallace was ultimately given the death penalty by King Edward by being hanged, disemboweled, and beheaded, he began a movement that eventually led to the independence of the nation of Scotland. And it is no secret that like William Wallace, many have been willing to die for freedom and many have died for freedom. They're willing to give their own lives in order to ensure freedom for others. And today I want you to know that freedom is infinitely important. Freedom is infinitely important. And what we're going to find here in a moment is that freedom is not something that can be given by a country. Freedom is not something that can be given from one person to another, but ultimately freedom is God's idea. God is the God of freedom. And what you see in the redemption story of the Lord Jesus Christ in that he died and rose again, he did that for a specific purpose. He did it for freedom. So if you're taking notes, our first point this morning before we read is here's why, freedom. So if you will, stand to your feet as we begin in Galatians chapter 5, Verse 1, and we honor the word of God by standing in honor of it. So beginning in verse 1 of Galatians 5, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Let's pray. God, today we honor your word. We understand that your word is like a sharp two-edged sword that is able to divide to the very ascending uh, division of soul and spirit that you can see into our heart, and that the word penetrates our heart. So today, God, there are many here this morning who need encouragement. There are many here this morning who need conviction. And Lord, today, we entrust this time into your hands. Holy Spirit, have your way in this service. Speak to our hearts. Those of us, Lord, who are living a lifestyle of bondage or legalism, Lord, I pray that our minds would be freed from that today. Lord, if there be any here who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray today would be the day when you would call their name and they would run out of that grave, that they would say yes to you, Jesus, and your sacrifice that you gave for them. 
Lord, we entrust this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the reason that Jesus came, the reason that Jesus died, it was for freedom. There in Galatians 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ set us free. It was for the reason of freeing us. You may ask, freeing us from what, Ben? Well, he goes on to say, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He came to free us from slavery, from the slavery of our sin, from the slavery of our bondage, from the slavery of the law, a law that we could never uphold because of our sinfulness. That's why Jesus came, to give us that very freedom. You know, when you think about people who have sacrificed for you, maybe it's your parents as you were growing up, and maybe they worked long hours. Maybe they went above and beyond to try to provide for you and to try to take care of you. Long, sleepless nights of staying up with you while you were sick. So many things that they poured into you. When you step back and you look at someone and how they sacrificed for you, it should compel you in your heart to love them. Not that they've earned your love, but that you can see their love for you, and because of their love for you, you can't help but love them. I think about that also in our nation today. As we think about our freedoms in this country, and as we think about how those freedoms are very fragile, we saw that during COVID. We see that many times even during elections, where our freedoms are being challenged. And a lot of times you see people who are so quick to give up their freedoms. They're so quick to go to a place where they want someone else to make decisions for them. They want someone else to tell them what to do. They want someone else to oppress them and hold them in this box. It's very interesting that as human beings, we go back there so quickly. It's almost as though we have forgotten about what others have done for us. Many times I see people who don't appreciate their parents, who take advantage of their parents. And you think about this, all that your parents have done for you, and yet you so quickly forget, and yet you so quickly turn against them. We think that way in our nation today about how even our veterans are not appreciated like they once were. How our law enforcement officers are not appreciated like they once were. And it's because we've so quickly forgotten. And here, Paul is trying to remind the churches of Galatia, don't forget. Don't forget who died for you. Don't forget who paid the price for your sins. It was for your freedom that Jesus died. And then Paul goes on in verse 1 there to say, stand firm. Now, why in the world would you have to convince someone to be free? Why in the world would you have to beg someone to stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for them as opposed to going back to the slavery and the bonds of their sin and the slavery and the bonds of their own inability to be righteous? Paul's having to do that here. And really what it goes back to is it's our sinful nature. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden really projects so much truth into every aspect of human history. Because at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were free. The Bible even says they were told they could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were innocent. They didn't know sin. They were in perfect fellowship with God. And God had told them, on the day when you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to, you'll lose that freedom. You'll be back in chains. You will be enslaved. And what did they do? They chose to go into slavery. They chose to go into bondage. 
And that's really where we need to come to today as a church, just like the Galatians who were believing a lie told by these Judaizers who were saying that, okay, you have to obey the Old Testament law, Christians. And not only is it faith in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. You also have to obey the festivals and the Sabbaths and the Old Testament laws. You also have to keep the dietary restrictions that were in the Old Testament. And these Judaizers began to just heap all of this extra weight and this extra bondage on these Galatians. And Paul stands and he says, wait a minute, what are you doing? It was for freedom that Jesus died for you. Stand firm and don't go back to the bonds of slavery. Don't go back. Here the Galatians were struggling with that very idea of what to do. And when we think about it, Americans exemplify this idea very well. Time and time again, we see our nation come to grips with a a population of people who would rather be told what to do than to have freedom, who would rather be restricted with their freedoms so that they can have provisions as opposed to being self-sufficient and being free. Even our founders understood where freedom comes from because in the Declaration of Independence, this is probably the most famous line in the entire letter, but it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Even our founders understood the idea of freedom. They understood that it wasn't the government's to give or to take. They understood that freedom is the idea of God, that God created freedom, that God is the God of freedom, and that God loves us infinitely that God created all human beings in his image with infinite worth. And because of that, because of his love for us, he has given us freedom and the right to be free. And here Paul is dealing with this very thing. Don't go back to your slavery. You know, when you think about a yoke, and that's the illustration that we're given there in verse 1, a yoke is used by farmers especially back in the old days, especially during this time in the first century, where a yoke would bound two oxen together. And these oxen could pull a plow much better than one. So they would team them together and they would yoke them together and it would keep them lock and step together where one ox couldn't get ahead of the other, but they would be able to plow efficiently with two, two is better than one. And what he's saying is, is he's saying that us going back to our slavery, us going back to the law, us going back to our own ability to do good, our own righteousness, our own ability to earn our salvation is just like two oxen being bound together. Listen, an ox doesn't get to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to plow today. He's going to plow. And when that yoke goes around his neck, he's going to do exactly what he's told to do. He doesn't get to say, well, you know, farmer, I'd like to plow that field today. That one's a little bit smoother and less rocks. No, he plows where the farmer takes him and where the farmer makes him plow. And what Paul is saying here is you're willing to give up the freedom that you have in Jesus, the freedom that Jesus has given you and paid for you with his own blood to go back to the yoke of slavery, to go back to a difficult slave master known as the law. A law that does not bend, a law that does not break, a law that does not give mercy and does not give you the ability to mess up. But it is a law that says if you disobey it in one area, you've broken the whole thing. And he said, you're really willing to give up the grace of Jesus for slavery and for the yoke of slavery? 
Here Paul is trying to bring them to remembrance of what Jesus did and why he did it for them. Today, maybe we need to be reminded of that too. Maybe we need to be reminded that God sent his only begotten son to die on a criminal's cross, to pay for sin that he didn't commit, to, to be ridiculed, to, to, be, to suffer in our place. And he did it willingly. And you know what? Today, I think we need to think about that for a little while. And we need to think that the reason Jesus did it was for our freedom, so that we did not have to be bowing down to our slave master, sin. We didn't have to be bowing down to the difficulty and impossibility of fulfilling the law that was before us. So here, as we've talked about the why, why did Jesus do that? It was for freedom. There's two different lifestyles that I want us to look at, two different lifestyles that Paul is comparing and contrasting to try to get not only the Galatians, but us today to realize just how wonderful our freedom is. That first lifestyle is the lifestyle of bondage. So if you're taking notes, write that down. A lifestyle of bondage. And we see the lifestyle of bondage exemplified in verses 2 through 4. So Galatians 5, verse 2, the Bible says this. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Paul shows what the Galatians are welcoming upon themselves if they choose the religion of humanism. Now remember, that's what we've talked about here in the past, that we have the covenant of the law. The covenant of the law was where Moses went up on the Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses was actually up there for 40 days and God not only gave him the Ten Commandments, but gave him a vast, vast, expansive and very detailed law for him to take back to the children of Israel. That is what's known as the covenant of the law. That's when God went into a covenant with the nation of Israel and said that if you will obey my law, then I will bless you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then on this side, we've got the covenant of promise, which is a precursor of the covenant of grace. The covenant of promise is when God came to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were barren. They could not have children. And God promised Abraham and Sarah that through your seed, through your lineage, I will bless the entire world. And we know now that because prophecy was fulfilled, that the promised seed was Jesus. In Matthew and Luke, we see the lineage from Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that God's prophecy was fulfilled perfectly, that indeed, God gave Abraham and Sarah a child named Isaac. And from Isaac to Jacob and on, on down came the child, the Lord Jesus Christ, who indeed blessed the world. And he blessed the world by dying on a cross and saving the world from its sins. So here Paul is making this contrast. He's saying, listen, you can live in this lifestyle of bondage, the covenant where you are bound by a law, an external force that presses you in and, and tries to make you conform to the holiness of God. Or you can be on this side and you can live in the lifestyle of grace. You can live where you are not obeying and you are not doing because of an external force but you are loving Jesus in a relationship with him. And because of his love for you, you love him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are doing what's right, not out of obligation, but out of love. And that's the two contrasts that Paul's making. And he's trying to keep the Galatians from going back into that yoke of slavery. Number, 
verse number two, we see that under the lifestyle of bondage, number one, Christ will not benefit you at all. Now, listen, I want to be clear here. I believe that the majority of the Galatians knew Jesus. I believe that the majority of these folks that Paul is writing to knew Christ and had been truly saved. And we all run this same risk, that even if you know Jesus, you can't lose your salvation, by the way. I want to make sure that's very clear today. But what you can do is you can begin to forsake a lifestyle of grace for a lifestyle of bondage. What I mean by that is your daily operations, your daily mental state, how you think through life, how you operate in life. And though you've been saved, did you know that you can live as though you've not? You can live as though you're still in bondage. You can live as though it's still up to you to save yourself. And that's what the Galatians were running the risk of doing. They had been saved by grace, but now they were about to live a lifestyle of bondage and, and, and guilt and shame in trying to be good enough and trying to be good enough to please God and trying to be good enough for God to love them when in reality, none of us can be good enough to be loved by God. It's his grace that he loves us. The Bible teaches us that God first loved us, that we're only able to love because he first loved us. And that's what we have to understand is, is that the, the covenant of grace in knowing Jesus and in being a relationship with him is freeing because it's not about me trying to check off the boxes of the law. Me not trying to make sure that I mind my P's and Q's. Although I should live a holy life, I don't live that holy life because I'm trying to earn God's favor or I'm trying to earn God's love or I'm trying to earn my way into heaven. I live according to what God has called me to live to because I love him. Remember what I said before? That when you realize the sacrifice that someone makes for you, it should compel you to love them because they love you. Their love initiates your love. Now you live for Jesus because he loves you and because you love him. It's a relationship. It's not a slave and a slave master relationship. It's a child and a parent relationship. It's a brother and a sister relationship. It's, a, it's an intimate relationship that is fundamentally about love, not about fear. And this is where Paul was trying to show them, don't go back to the slavery. Don't go back to the bondage. In verse 3, he goes on, he says, Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. In other words, Galatians, do not understand what you're entering into. Because if you say and you agree with these false teachers that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved or you have to be circumcised in order to be more spiritual, it doesn't stop there. It never does. Legalism is never satisfied. Legalism will make you think that if you could just do this next achievement, this next big thing, that you've arrived and you're okay. But the moment you do it, here comes something else. Oh, now I got to do this. Okay, let me go do this. Let me get this done. Oh, man, now I got to do this. Okay, let me get this done. And before you know it, you are so bound up by trying to be good enough and under your own power trying to please God that you break. And I have seen many people. And this is, I don't know if this is a trend that's been going on the last 20 or 30 years, but Christians who go back to the Old Testament and they start digging this stuff up and saying, well, I got to quit eating pork. It says right there, the Bible says that, I, that, you, that pork is an unclean meat. Well, I got to quit eating shellfish. I can't eat shrimp anymore because the Bible and the Old Testament law said that that was an unclean food. You know, I, I, can't, I can't mow my grass on the Sabbath. Because the Bible says that you're not to work on the Sabbath day. And they start digging all this up. And you know what happens? Those people never last long. They take on this new so-called faith because 
Apparently, God has revealed something to them that he's not revealed to the rest of us New Testament believers. And they begin to try to live by that, and in six months, they break. No one can sustain that long term because you can't be good enough. Because you can't fulfill the holy law that God has laid out before each one of us. It's bondage and it's slavery. I've never found one person who tries to live by the law that was happy and that had joy and that had peace. They're always very just in your face. You need to do this. You need to do that. And what they're really showing is is an outpouring of their own misery. That's why they're never happy because there's no joy in their life because they've ne- they're never good enough. In their mind, they can never be good enough and they have to work day and night to earn their goodness and it drives them crazy. And the whole time, people like Paul are over here saying, it's for freedom that Jesus died for you, but yet you're choosing to be bound up in the chains of bondage and slavery. It's kind of like this. Just think through this with me just a little bit. You have a debt to pay, Okay. And let's say your debt is $1 billion. Now, to my knowledge, none of you in here could pay a debt of $1 billion. If you could, let's talk after. We've got a few things around the church that we need to fix up, okay? But your debt is $1 billion. Now, you've got two options, okay? You can go to Elon Musk, who is worth $203 billion, which is down a little bit from what, he, what it was, which is sad after he bought Twitter, but he's still making it, I think. And he tells you, I will gladly pay your $1 billion debt with no strings attached. And then with all sincerity, you look at him and you say, thanks, but no thanks, I got this. And you're already in debt a billion dollars. Now, it's foolish, isn't it? I mean, y'all can understand how ignorant that is and foolish that is. And if any of you ever did that, I'd smack you upside the head. That's stupid. Well, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying you are in so much debt because of your sin you actually think that you can pay it better than the richest king in the world? The one who shed his blood, the only one who has the power over death, hell, and the grave, and you're going to choose to pay your own debt instead of letting Jesus pay it? Who can pay it just like that? Who finished the work on the cross? There's nothing that left that needs to be done? And you're going to choose your own ability to pay your own debt? Jesus had a big group of people that he was always trying to work with who had this same mentality, and they were called the Pharisees. And in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28, it says this, Jesus speaking, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know what living by the law does? It drives you to put on this facade that you've got it all together and that you're righteous. But every single time, those who try to live by their own righteousness are corrupt inside. They're living in gross immorality in their heart. Listen, living by the law and living by legalism and living by just trying to do your own thing and be good enough on your own always produces an outward appearance like you've got it all together and an inside that is corrupt and vile and wicked. It breeds sins of secret the sins that are committed in dark, the sins that are committed when no one else is looking. That's the kind of people who try to live by their own righteousness. The outside of the cup is 
beautiful and shiny, but the inside is absolutely filthy. The outside of that tomb is whitewashed and clean, but inside the tomb there's dead bones and impurity. That is what legalism, that is what a lifestyle of bondage will always produce in you because you are trying to be good in your own ability. The Bible teaches us that the law, the law that God gave Moses was never meant to save anyone. As a matter of fact, it was meant to reveal to you your sinfulness, to reveal to me my sinfulness. And those who try to be purified by the law, all they end up doing is revealing who they truly are in their sinful state. And that leads me with this last point, a lifestyle of grace. A lifestyle of grace. And we see Paul speak about this lifestyle of grace in verses 5 through 6. Beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith and hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters, listen, what matters is faith working through love. So Paul explains that the essence of a life of freedom is being led by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear right there what he said in verse 5? For we eagerly await through the Spirit. And what he's talking there, this awaiting and this waiting period that he's speaking about, is from the moment you get saved, the very instant that you trust Jesus as your Savior, the Bible teaches that we are justified. And what justification is, is it is your standing before the judge. You're standing before God. And the Bible teaches that when we get saved and we trust Jesus, that our standing before God takes a 180 degree turn. We go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. We go from being eternally destined for hell to being eternally destined for heaven. It is a change of position before the judge. That is an instantaneous act. And then we have the sanctification process in the Christian life. Sanctification is not salvation, but sanctification is a gradual maturity of every believer becoming more like Jesus until they take their last breath. But then thirdly, you have glorification. Now glorification has not happened yet for us because glorification is when we receive a new body in heaven, when we see Jesus face to face. That is glorification. So right here as he's talking about this hope of righteousness, did you see there? For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. He's not saying we're eagerly awaiting our salvation because they've already been saved. He's saying we are eagerly waiting the fullness of our salvation. And the fullness of our salvation takes place when we see Jesus face to face and we have our new body. He's saying, listen, we're not eagerly awaiting this new body by working really hard and trying to be as good as we can be and trying to fulfill the law and obey the law. He's saying, we are eagerly, eagerly awaiting the day when we see Jesus by faith. We are eagerly awaiting because of grace. We are eagerly awaiting because we know it's going to happen. It's guaranteed. You ever met somebody who thought they could lose their salvation? They said, yeah, I've been saved about four or five times. And you're like, what? What in the world is that? The reason they've been saved four or five times is because they think they can lose it. Now, let me tell you, that's some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet. Because you're driving down the road, and old so-and-so cuts you off on the interstate. You tell them they're number one with your middle finger. And then the rest of the way to work, you're wondering, was that bad enough to lose my salvation? God, I didn't mean to do that. God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Lord, would you save me? Would you save me again? And the Lord's up there looking like, so I forgave you for your past, present, and future sins. Once saved, always saved. The Bible says that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. 
This same situation until the future hope of righteousness. You're saved until you fully realize your glorified body, until you see Jesus face to face. He's saying, listen, you're not going to get to heaven because you're good enough. Okay, you're not going to get to heaven because, you know, your mind, your P's and your Q's. You're not going to get to heaven because you never lose your temper. You're going to get to heaven by faith because you believed in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he died on the cross, he took your place on the cross, he was buried and he rose again and won victory over death, hell, and the grave. That's how you're going to realize this future hope of righteousness, not because of your goodness. And he's saying, Galatians, are you really willing to live this life of bondage and this life of misery and trying to always be perfect and try to always be good enough and try to always analyze what you've already done to make sure it wasn't bad enough if you took for to lose your salvation? Are you going to live a, a life like that or are you going to just rest in Jesus' grace? knowing that the debt's been paid and the blood has been applied to you. You say, Ben, I struggle with that all the time. You've got to come to a place where you repent of living in that lifestyle of bondage and you live within that sphere and that lifestyle of grace. Where each and every day, it's not that you got saved, just saved by grace, but you live every day in the grace of God. You live every day knowing that you're a sinner. And I'm not saying it's okay to go out and live like hell and sin. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it is inev inevitable that you are going to mess up. It is inevitable that you are going to sin. And when you do, here's what living in lifestyle of grace is. When you do mess up, you mourn over your sin. And you say, God, I am sorry. I repent. I turn from that. And you keep going forward. Living in the grace of Jesus. Someone in lifestyle of bondage, They'll mull over that sin and mull over that sin and mull over that sin for days and weeks and years and they'll never let it go because they think they got to do something to counteract or to counterbalance their bad works. There's people out there that believe if they sin one time, they've got to do three good things to counteract the sin. Could you imagine living a life like that? bondage there's no joy there's no peace in that and here's what Paul is going back to in verse 1 it is for freedom that Christ set us free stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery hey listen good works are important but good works don't save you the reason that you have the ability to live a holy life is because you first trusted in Jesus works follows faith but works does not give you faith. Hey, you can live in a pleasing way before God because the Holy Spirit lives within you, not because you're good enough. It's not works and then salvation, but it's your salvation, and then because of that, you're able to do the good works. 1 John 4 teaches us this about God's love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Listen, he's saying basically this is love right here. You want the definition, this is it. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Listen, and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Remember what I said, the lifestyle of grace? You do good because you love Jesus. And you love Jesus because he first loved you. It's like someone that you love and, and you hold so precious. And it would absolutely break your heart to know that you hurt their feelings. It would absolutely break your heart to know that you did anything that would offend them or hurt them. That's the relationship that we ought to have with Jesus. We ought to not want to sin because it hurts Jesus. Because it hurts his feelings. And it should bother me 
Not because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell because of it, but it should bother me because I love Jesus so much. Our love should compel us to live the right way. It says in verse 14, and we have seen, this is in 1 John, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And listen to this, and we have come to know and to believe the love of God that God has for us.